0: Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. I have been looking forward to today for months now. I've been in contact with our guest speaker via email and uh, Facebook messaging and things like that. And I have followed him on Facebook, read his posts. I've talked to other ministers about him, but I did not meet him until yesterday. Pastor Mike and I went over to Indianapolis and picked him up at the airport, and we had uh, excellent conversation in the car and over breakfast. He had catfish for breakfast, which, you know. And uh, Beth and I really enjoyed our time and conversation with him last night as well. This is a man who has been used mightily by God. He has traveled the world He speaks several languages, and he has an amazing life story and through it all remains absolutely one of the most humble men it's been my pleasure to meet. I know you are going to be blessed. I'm excited to receive from God this morning through this man, and would you please join me in giving a warm, living word welcome to Brother Christopher Alam?
1: Thank you, Pastor, for your kind words. Let's all stand up and pray together. Father, we come to your presence in the name of your son, Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that when you died upon the cross, you bore upon, you bore upon your own self all our sins, and you carried all our diseases and our shortcomings, and I thank you. Thank you for your presence in our midst this morning because you said where two or three of us are gathered together In your name, you're there in the midst of them. So, Lord, we acknowledge your presence. We worship you. We give you all the glory. I ask you that this morning you would touch uh, the people, Father, at the point of need in their lives, heal those that are sick, both this morning and in the evening. And, Lord, for everything you do, we covenant to give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise, because you alone are worthy in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. I'm... Greatly honored to be here. My name is Christopher Alam. I'm a, I'm a missionary. That's what I do. But I live in Pennsylvania, and I travel out from there. Uh, I spend about 40% of my time preaching overseas, and the rest of the time I spend preaching in the U.S. I want to start by showing you some pictures, and this is my day job. This is what I'm doing is extra. So uh, that's my day job, if you could... Uh, the 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 PowerPoint I have is called Ministry Presentation, if you could put that one up. And right, so this is, and I'll tell you when to change to the next slide, okay? Thank you. And this is what we do, Gospel Crusades, reaching the unreached, church planting, training pastors, overseeing churches, Bible school, orphanage, and those are the places we are in. And the next picture, please. This is Beauty and the Beast. Uh, My wife, Britta, and I in Africa. And the next picture is... Okay, this is one of my house pets. Uh, 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 This is uh, is not Photoshop. People ask me, is this a Photoshop? This is not Photoshop. This is a real lion, and he's not drugged or anything. There's a real live African lion. And before I I walked with this lion, I had to take a course on how to handle a lion with nothing but a stick. And you can see that stick if you look at... uh, the right side of the picture, behind the lion, you see that stick, and uh, I learned how to kind of, you know, exercise my will over the lion using that stick, and uh, and uh, and you know, I thought if this preaching gig doesn't work out, I can always get a job at a circus. So, so this is uh, and and but before you walk with the lion, they actually feed the lion pretty well because you know. because lions are interesting animals; they don't they only hunt if they're hungry. If they're not hungry, they don't, they don't kill out of instinct. They only kill if they're hungry. So they, they, they fed the lion very well. But, you know, a lion can be like you. You had a nice dinner, then you go by McDonald's and say, mm, I think I'll grab some chicken nuggets, you know, <laughs> just feel like it. So because of that, because the lion may backslide eat the man of God, so they had someone with a rifle standing, Few feet away from me, but I cropped him out of the picture because it wouldn't look as, you know, impressive with him in it. And, uh, and then, but he did turn around and take a look at me, but he didn't, he, he decided he didn't like dark meat, you know. So, uh, uh, lions prefer to eat white people. Uh, that's why there are so few lions, in, uh, so few white people in Africa, if you wondered. Why? Because they prefer to eat white people. Anyway, so I, I, let's go to the next picture. This is me preaching in a place called Chawama in Zambia. Uh, not in this meeting, but in another, at another time on this field, we had 30,000 people baptized with the Holy Ghost at one time in one service uh, on this. And then the next picture is, uh, this is in a place called Manga in Mozambique. And we were in the middle of nowhere and uh, I was wondering if anyone would show up and then people began to come to hear the gospel. Uh, This was an unreached area. Now this is a region where 40% of the population are Muslims because one thing I want you to understand that the Muslim countries, the oil producing Muslim countries give a part of their uh, GDP, a part of their national income to the spread of Islam. And so when you go to certain, of this certain countries in Africa, you see these Islamic centers every 20 miles or so. Uh, there's a big mosque and a school and a free clinic. And they tell the Africans that if you convert to Islam, uh, you will get free medical treatment for life. You and your family, your kids will get free schooling plus meals. Because they've got, I mean, they spend hundreds of millions of dollars. So about 40% of this area are actually uh, Muslim. So we have decided to go in and preach the gospel there for people to get saved. Uh, of course, I mean, uh, uh, our government doesn't support the preaching of the gospel. Like Muslim countries, they put money into the preaching of Islam. Anyway, so this area is 40% Muslim. And the next one is, uh, this is in uh, Lobinggula in Zimbabwe, altar call, and the next picture as this, the top is in Chawama, Zambia. The second one is a place called George in Zambia. And the next picture is, this is in Mafambise in Zambia. Another place in the middle of nowhere, but uh, we had three football grounds uh, full of people. Uh, that's how big the field was. And the next picture is, uh, this is people getting baptized with the Holy Spirit in a place called George in Zambia. And I believe I'll be going back to George uh, at the end of the year because I haven't been able to go to Zambia during COVID. And the next picture is, uh, this is, uh, uh, yeah, this is Kadoma in in Zimbabwe. And uh, the next picture is, this is in, in Asia. This is one of our crusades in Asia. And uh, unreached area, this area has only, I'll show the same picture in the evening. I'll tell more about this region uh, this evening. Anyway, the next picture is, this is another one of our crusades in Asia, uh, altar called on the f- last night. And the next picture is, this is in the United Arab Emirates, uh, very conservative Muslims uh, came to the meeting to get saved and they got healed and uh, And the next picture is uh, this is now this is interesting this is uh because you see my last name, my family name is a Muslim name, and so I, I went to this city, and a lot of Muslims, when they saw the posters they they you know they saw how come he's called Christopher, his first name, the last name is a Muslim name, so they came out of curiosity, and they came carrying these two men, you see the man with his back to the camera and the other man who's speaking, they're brothers, and they were both paralyzed, couldn't walk, and the family carried them, and God healed both of them. And they both got up and walked, and after that, I mean, we had tons of Muslims coming to the meeting, bringing sick people with them uh, to be healed. Because, see, it's interesting because uh, the Quran actually says that Jesus heals the sick, that there is healing in Jesus. So that's why we always, whenever this, we are in a Muslim area, a lot of Muslims come to hear the gospel and get saved that way. Then the next picture is, uh, this is a blind woman, uh, got healed in Malawi. Just that took a few random healing testimonies. And the next picture is this. Now, this is interesting. This, this man uh, came with this, the, his son. Now, in this picture, the son is six years old. But six years prior to that, when this uh, boy was just six months old, he was a tiny little baby, his, one of his feet was a club foot. A club foot is when the foot is totally deformed and twisted and the sole points upwards and it's rolled up like a ball. It has like no bone structure. It's all deformed. And, and he, he said, could you pray for my son? So I prayed for the boy's foot and God healed that boy. And so six years later... Uh, he came with the boy, he said, Pastor, do you remember me? I said, I've seen you somewhere. Then he reminded me, and then he took the boy's shoe off to show me. Uh, and, and the boy ran, ran around like any other kid. But I, w- I revisited the original picture, and it was the other foot. He had even forgotten which foot was clubfooted. Uh, because they were both the same. Anyway, so I asked the man, I said, what are you doing these days? He said, Pastor, after the Lord healed my son, I got saved, I went to Bible school, and now I'm pastoring a Pentecostal church. So, this man. And the next picture is, uh, this is... Uh, uh, This is in in the town of Zomba in Malawi, which was, you can say it was one of the southernmost southernmost Muslim town on the African continent. And I went there and uh, we rented their stadium and we held a crusade there. And uh, we planted a church and put this man over that church. And uh, the church grew, it flourished, and they planted 25 churches all over the city because in Africa people don't have cars. And in a town like Zomba, they don't have public transportation like buses either. So you have to walk. So when you plant, uh, when you know people get saved, you have to plant churches in the areas where they live. So they planted, I think, 24, 25 churches. And this congregation, the main church, had 4,000 people in it. And Zomba was no longer a Muslim town because the majority of the people were spiritual. they were Pentecostals. So uh, God did a great thing there. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Uh, The next picture, uh, this is our orphanage, and we took on, uh, I didn't ever want to, we have always supported orphanages, but we never wanted to run an orphan, but orphan, uh, I never wanted to run an orphanage, but somebody dumped these orphans on our lap, and we just had to take care of them. So we said, okay, let's take care of them. So we built this uh, house for them, and took care of these orphans and now just now as I speak the last orphan has graduated from high school and they have gone so now I I talk to my team it has been such a blessing for us to take care of these orphans we're going to start with a new group of babies and uh, and and start the orphan you know start with a new group of orphans and that'll be done any day now we just you know you have to deal with the government and permits and all that so we are working on that and the next one is this is our uh, we have a we have a church planting school and so we built a dorm that sleeps about 70 people we train them for one year and then we send them out two by twos because I oversee I don't know exact number but, but close to 400 churches we have in Africa so what we do is we send like we would send two of two graduates to one church and we would ask that pastor to oversee them and to send them out somewhere unreached area and a church so we are const- constantly planting churches and uh, we are also starting a church planting school like that in Asia we would have done it two years ago but then COVID started and you know we couldn't do it but we're going to do it now we have been talking to my team because those countries are opening up And the next one is, this is the last picture. This is, again, me preaching somewhere in Africa. So praise God. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. Praise God. So this is what we do. You know, we do missions. We see approximately, uh, you know, the only true bookkeeping of souls is in heaven. I mean, only the Lord knows. But by my, you know, human estimate, we see between 800,000 1.2 to 1.2 million people make decisions for Jesus every year uh, in our crusades. And, and so, so I've been working in Africa for 35 years and, and we are in Asia also, we are also in South America, wherever there's an open door, uh, we go there. But then, you know, uh, when COVID came the year before last, like 2020, this is 2022, Everything was closed down, couldn't do anything. So the Lord told me, uh, just start teaching. Because before I was doing this, I used to uh, be a lecturer at the biggest Bible college in Europe for four years. So the Lord said, pull out your teaching skills and begin to teach them. So I began to teach. And I, uh, for seven months, I taught every single day, seven days a week. I taught Bible lessons, and uh, I taught on subjects, realities of redemption, on healing, on the gifts of the Spirit, and the person, works of the Holy Spirit. I taught on faith, I taught on grace, I taught on uh, you know, a lot of different subjects, and I put it on YouTube, and it was all free of charge, and people all over the world found it and began to use it, and so there were churches and Bible schools that used it, and that was a, a great way for me since I couldn't leave the country everything was closed down you know 2020 you couldn't travel anywhere so I did that and that was fruitful then I heard that uh, because of the situation in Africa you know they don't have online church and all the churches were closed the government shut everything down and uh, there was no income and people were starving so the Lord told me to feed pastors and I said well in these days you know there's the financial situation people are out of work and the lord said you 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 take you feed the pastors." so i said okay so i began to raise money and you know we fed thousands of pastors and their families we gave them three months rations we had a program to give them and we we fed people for over three hundred fifty thousand dollars in a time of famine and uh, and so we did that and it, it was wonderful to be able to do that and then, uh, you know, when COVID came in India, uh, people, there was no oxygen for respirators. And, uh, and the Lord told me, there's Christian hospitals, there are missions hospitals, and the government is not helping them. And the Lord says, you buy those machines for them that make oxygen. So we did that. And so anyway, we ultimately ended up raising over $450,000 dollars. Uh, to to feed pastors, to buy respirators, and all that. And right now, we, um, <laughs> uh, this thing in Ukraine started, and the Lord said, you help the pastors, because I've got pastor friends inside Ukraine. Uh, one pa- you know, I've been talking to them on the phone, and, and uh, these are people with thousands of people in their churches, and they're in the war zone, helping people, evacuating people, moving them, and uh, out preaching on the streets with bombs, Coming down. It's it's interesting how people, you know, in times of crisis. I was saying to Pastor Scott, good men always rise to the occasion. And so one of my friends, I preach in his church. Beautiful city of Kiev, which is mostly destroyed. And I asked him how he's doing. He said, "Brother, we are st- we are out there feeding people, and I'm preaching on the streets. People are getting saved." I said, "How's your church?" His, "Our church is still intact, but one of my big churches." The, all, when you go there, it's all gone. All you see is a big crater. The Russians uh, bombed that. And so, but in spite of their difficulties, I mean, I admire people like that. They're preaching the gospel. And, and, and we have been sending them money. We raised oh, at least $120,000, of which 90000 has gone out. And I've got other pastor friends who are distributing food. So there's a lot of good people. Uh, servants of the Lord and uh, I mean these are my friends there's others I don't know but there's many who are doing a great work and I think we should we, sh- we should look at how people you know here in America uh, we, we we are blessed we don't you know last night we were eating dinner at a restaurant and, and when, when you sit there you don't even think that this is a bad time in the world today because uh, today after service when you go to eat with your family to a restaurant, you probably have to wait one hour to get a table, because there is money, there is food, people are eating, people are living their lives, enjoying their lives, while other places, people are fighting, people are dying, people are trying to survive, and all that, you know? And somehow, in our minds, the only thing we can, excuse me, don't get offended, we can talk about is conspiracy theories, you know, and and uh, and all those and, and and you know and then the prophets come and such and such prophets had said this you know god didn't give the gifts of the spirit to the church to talk about politics god gave us the gifts of the spirit to set people free from bondage to heal the sick to cast out devils so if someone is not winning souls healing the sick and casting out devils i really have no interest in what he thinks of the elections or covid Because that is not our message. Our message is the gospel message. The good news of Jesus Christ crucified. We are called to preach Christ crucified and resurrected. Because that is our message and that is where the power is. All those other things. So, you know, so I, uh, here I am sitting in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Picking up the phone and calling Kiev. I say, how are you doing, Brother Henry? He said, well, the Russians are bombing us. But I'm out there preaching the gospel, you know. Uh, uh, and and uh, and all that and 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 so, we we look to those people for inspiration, amen. Now, I know you're getting quite on me, but it's okay, you know. But but we you know we got to look. Who do you look to for encouragement and for inspiration? And you know we, we 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 live in bad times. We and I believe we are living in the end times. But I mean I can't tell you such and such date Jesus is coming back. But. Let's put it this way. We are living close to the end, closer to the end times than at any other time in history. And, and things are scary, but it's in situations like this when we have to rise up and we have to look at the world around us and win souls for Jesus. That was, that's the only thing that will count. When a man dies, when he stands before God, there's only one thing that counts, and that's not his political views, whether he was rich or poor, or what country he grew up in, the most important. There's only one thing that'll count. Did he die with Jesus or without Jesus? And only the church can make the difference. We are the only ones who can tell people about about Jesus. The world will not do it. Politicians will not do it. Even politicians who say they're Christians, they will not preach the gospel because I listen to them what they talk about. They talk about everything else except Jesus Christ. But the church preaches the gospel. We have the gospel message and, and that has to rise to the top. We must have that urgency in our heart. May God give us that urgency for souls in our hearts. We, we must have that burning in our hearts so the winning of souls, the winning of the lost rises and becomes our number one priority because that, is, because that determines the eternal destiny of people who are lost. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Anyway, let's go to Galatians chapter 1 and I want to share uh, something with you and I want to tell you, and my subject would be why I preach the gospel. Why I preach the gospel. Because, you know, because of my background coming out of Islam and uh, people, especially my relatives, members of my family asked me, so what do you do for a living? Because I come from a family that's very educated and very accomplished. And, uh, uh, you know, my, my mother was a member of parliament. My dad was an army general. I was an army officer. And I've got a cousin in Boston. He has two PhDs from MIT. You know, they're all very accomplished, very educated, and all that. And, and I was, in their eyes, the black sheep of the family. Uh, I left everything, and I travel around the world preach about Jesus and so pe- people wonder because in the beginning they thought somebody had hypnotized me or done black magic on me because they believe in witchcraft he must be somebody must have done some magic on him that has totally turned his head and and he left everything and he's talking about this Jesus all the time but over over the years they came to accept the fact that i was not crazy and uh, in fact, some of them even thought that, well, he lives a far better life morally than most of our successful family members. And uh, one of my uncles, he was a member of the cabinet. He was a retired general. And he said to me, he says, he said to me, he says, if I, was, if I could live my life all over again, if I was young, young again, I would do what you do. I would follow Jesus, I would get baptized and live like you. That's what he said to me before he died. So, you know, people watch you, w- watch your life, not what you say, but how you live your life. And that speaks to them, uh, because that gives credibility to the things you say. How you live gives credibility to the things you say. And so one of the questions they asked me, why do you preach the gospel? Why do you, why do, you do this? And... and um, so one of the things they asked me, so what do you do for a living? I said, well, I'll travel around the world. I preach about Jesus. They said, so what do you tell them about Jesus? I said, well, I tell the story of Jesus. I'm like a storyteller. I tell them about his, 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 the virgin birth, his, uh, his uh, sinless life, his death upon the cross, and his resurrection from the dead. So you tell that story? I said, yeah, that, that's all I talk about. So why? I said, well, there's something interesting about the story. Because every time I tell that story, people's lives are changed. The lame people get up and walk. Blind people see. Their fears are open. There is power in the telling of that story. And so I tell them, I'm a storyteller. I've given my life to telling this story. And there's only one story I tell. I don't deviate from that. So they asked me, why do you preach the gospel? So I would like to break this down. And tell you why I, coming from my background, preach the gospel. Well, I can divide my, I can categorize my reasons for preaching the gospel into two categories. The first category are, you can call it the biblical reasons why I preach the gospel. And those apply to all of us. You know, the scriptural reasons why I preach the gospel. And that's the same for All of us, it applies to all of us. The first scriptural reason uh, I would say is this. There's many, but the first one would be, I preach the gospel because Jesus is the only way to God. There are many religions, there are many, you know, many different faiths, but they don't lead to God. There's only one way to God, and that is Jesus Christ. And he said himself, I am the way, the truth, Uh, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father other than by me. So there is only way, one way to God. All religions teach certain good things, uh, but, you know, like if you study Buddhism, you learn a lot about character and all that. But when it comes to finding your way to God, that is only through Jesus. And so because Jesus is the only way to God, we must show that way to those Who don't know him so that they also may find their way to God that's the first reason the second reason I would say I preach the gospel is uh, Jesus commanded us to preach the gospel there is something called the Great Commission which says go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature if you note it is not the Great Suggestion but it's the Great Commission All of us are called to preach the gospel, whether it be someone like me going to Africa or someone like you sharing Christ with your neighbors, wherever you are, here in St. Joseph or wherever you live, sharing Christ with your neighbors. So all of us should be winning souls for Jesus, sharing Christ with others. So it's a commandment we have received and so on and so forth. If you go through the scriptures uh, you know, there are scriptures like Jesus said, for the son of man came to seek and to save that which is lost. There are many, many scriptures which, which will tell us why Jesus came to this world and how it applies to us, how those scriptures apply to us because we are the ones who are God's mouthpiece on this earth. The gospel goes through, through us. Now, the second category would be my personal reasons for preaching the gospel. And, uh, I have three personal reasons for preaching the gospel. The first is, I preach the gospel because of what Jesus has done for me. And you know, all of us have a story to tell. Each one of us have a story to tell. We have a personal reason. Personal reason. And, and I read that, let me go to Galatians, and uh, Paul talks about his personal encounter with Jesus. That is, you know, each one of us has a story to tell, and this is, his story and it says in galatians 1:13 it says for you have heard of my conversation in time past in the jews religion that means he was a jew just like i was a muslim paul was a jew and i don't know what your thing was before you got saved he says, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals of mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers." So what Paul is saying is that not only was a Jew, but he was a zealous Jew. He, you know, because there are, there are Jews who are, sec- most Jews in America are secularized. You can't even tell that they're Jews until they tell you, you know, I'm Jewish. but They're, they're secularized, but, but uh, Paul was a zealous Jew so that when the church w- w- was being persecuted by the Jews, uh, Paul was in the forefront of that, persecuting the Christians. And then he said he was zealous for the traditions of the fathers. It's interesting because um, uh, faith always looks forward, but tradition always looks backwards. Uh, tradition... Uh, you know, uh, tradition, uh, people who are traditional, they are more interested in conserving what was in the past rather than look for, looking forward. And Paul was like that. He was zealous for the traditions of the fathers. But then something happened. Verse 15, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. So there's three things here. Firstly, he says it pleased God. There came a time when it pleased God. You know, each one of us is here because it pleased God. Salvation wasn't man's idea, it was God's idea. Just think of it, you and I are here, but for every one person who is in here, there's thousands of people out there. And then you say, what is the difference between me and them? Uh, Why am I here and they're not here? Well, we are here because it pleased God. Because God looked at us and he had mercy on us. And that is why it, we are here. So it said it pleased God. And then it says, who separated me from my mother's womb. That, that means he lived with his life with a sense of destiny. He, he understood the purpose for which God had put him on this planet. And you know, true, true satisfaction and contentment in life doesn't come with how much money you have or how many possessions you own. But it comes by knowing the purpose for which God put you on this planet and living out that purpose. Now, don't have to be in the full-time ministry. It can be something else. But whatever it is, once you discover the purpose for which God created you and put you on this earth, and then you begin to walk in that purpose, that is what brings true contentment and joy in this life. And Paul understood that, and he was one of those blessed people who, who found his purpose in life, and, and he said, God separated me from my mother's womb. In other words, yes, it pleased God, you know, there was a time when Paul got saved, but even before that, he said, when I was in my mother's womb, uh, God pointed his finger at me and he chose me for a certain task, and that's what I'm living out right now. So he lived with his life with a sense of destiny. And then it says, "And call me by His grace." Paul looked at his ministry, his calling. You know, he wrote half the New Testament. He went up to third heaven. He heard words he was not allowed to to repeat. He raised the dead. He planted churches. He did. I mean, he was an amazing man. But all this was because of grace. God's calling on our lives is not on the basis of our merits, but it's always because of grace. And that's why one of the humbling things is, you know, here I am preaching the gospel. Uh, I remember I was in a certain country, and this pastor said to me, he says, Brother Christopher, what you do is so easy. He says, I can do that. I can put up a platform and, and preach, and people will get saved and people get healed, and I could do that. I said, yes you are right. I said that you could do that, you could do it better than me because you have a good you know, Pentecostal pedigree. You come from a good Christian family. I came out of Islam but I said that you could do it better but the problem is I'm doing it and you're not doing it. <laughs> and, and it's because the Bible says no man can take anything except it be given to him from above. So I'm painfully aware when I'm preaching, there's people who can say, "Uh uh-uh, that was wrong because they know the Bible more than I do, and they are. There are people who know the Bible better than I do who come and sit and, and listen to me and critique my messages, and they could be right. They could be, there is full possibility that they're right and I'm wrong, but the reason I am preaching the gospel and they aren't is because of the grace of God. Not because I deserve to be the one. You know, God doesn't say, okay, let me choose the smartest, the most educated ones. But he chooses people by his grace. Why? Because he chose the foolish things of the world to confound that which is is wise so that no man can take the glory. The reason God chooses people like me is so that no man can say, you see, I did this because of me. But I can say, God did this in spite of me. God uses us in and that is grace, pure grace. God calls by his grace. He says, call me by his grace, and here's the purpose, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. The reason God did all this in Paul's life not, was not to make Paul a preacher, but to give him a revelation of Jesus Christ. Reveal his son in me so that I can preach him among the heathen. The greatest thing that God wants to do in our lives is to give us a revelation of Jesus. Because once we have a revelation of Jesus, we can preach Christ. Because we can only preach with life-changing conviction the things that are a revelation to us. So anyway, this was his life, his story how he came out of where he was. So I wanted to use this as a backdrop and share my story with you. I preach the gospel because of what Jesus has done for me. You know, I I grew up as a Muslim. I'm a direct descendant of Muhammad, the prophet of Islam. I grew up in a totally Muslim environment. Until the age of 21, I had never met a Christian. I had never seen a Bible. I knew absolutely nothing about Jesus. But my life took a... Bad turn when I was 13, and uh, I joined the military. And to cut a long story short, by the time uh, I was 15, I was suicidal, I had nothing to live for. So 17, when I was 17, I was a combat veteran, 17, 18. By the time I was 21, I really had nothing to live for. I just wanted to die. I had no direction in life. And then one day I was walking down the street in the city, the city of Lahore. In, in Pakistan, and, and I remember I, I, I saw this, uh, this tall white man, he was about six foot five, standing across the street, and he was handing out tracts to people. And the I, I, I reason uh, you know, I was uh, you know, drawn to look at him was because he seemed to have this look of total peace and contentment and joy on his face. And I remember thinking to myself, this was 1975, we had that hippie movement, you know, people smoking drugs and smoking pot and all that. So I remember seeing this young man and thinking, he has something that I have never known, and I have got to find out what he is smoking. So, <laughs> so, so I crossed the street, and I said, I said sir, um, who, who are you and what are you doing here? and he says i'm an englishman i'm from england i'm traveling around the world telling people about jesus and so the moment he said jesus i just i was just riveted to the ground and i thought i said tell me about jesus he began to tell me about jesus and he he said things i'd never heard before and uh, But it was very simple. It wasn't a theological lesson, but what he was basically saying that if you open your heart and let Jesus Christ come in, he will set you free. That was all. And the moment he said that, I felt in my heart that, you know, sometimes uh, you try to understand things intellectually. At other times, things just grab you. And it was one of those moments, something just grabbed me and I remember thinking, this is what I've been waiting for my whole life. And I just knew it. And then he said, do you want to give your life to Jesus? And, and I knew if I did that, I would be killed. You know, they, that's what the Muslims do. The apostasy is punishable by death. But at that moment, I didn't care. I said, yeah, sure. <laughs> so I gave my life to Jesus. And I instantly felt like all my burdens had been lifted away. I was a changed person. Anyway, the army uh, thought that there was something wrong with me, so they put me in in the military mental uh, institution, and they found nothing wrong with me. Then I was released. I was under house arrest, and I had to escape, and I was preaching on the streets. I'm, I'm condensing the details. There was a huge change in my life, and then after a few months, I was arrested. I was in prison for almost a year, And they said, if you don't go back to Islam, we are going to kill you and execute you. So I had to escape, and I went to Afghanistan, I went to Russia, Turkey, and ended up in Belgium. And then I went to Sweden, where I got political asylum. I met my wife in church, got married, I got baptized with the Holy Spirit, went to Rehma, went back to Sweden, kept on ministering. And uh, that has been my journey for... Uh, 46 years now, since I gave my, you know, I've been preaching the gospel for 46 years. And, uh, you know, as I look back at my life, uh, I I look back at what I was and where I've come from, I can tell you this one scripture that is uh, totally, totally true. When When Paul says, if any man is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. All things have become new. I'm truly a new person. I'm, I'm not perfect, but I am truly a totally different person than what I used to be. So that if I was to tell you about the things I used to do, you know, I, I, I was so violent. I used to carry a loaded gun wherever I went. Someone crossed me. They would be looking down the barrel of my nine millimeter. I mean, that's the kind of person I was. And, and Jesus has changed my life. Jesus says truly, you talk about somebody being saved, you know. Saved is, we use the word saved. Saved is like when a person is drowning and someone else goes and saves his life, pulls him out of the water. And that is what happened to me. Jesus has saved me. So the first reason I preach the gospel is because of what Jesus has done for me, and I want everybody else to experience the life-changing power, especially when I, I meet people and I say, this person needs a life change, and he cannot do it himself. No man can do it for him. Only Jesus can do it. So I want to tell them about Jesus. So that's the first reason I preach the gospel, because of what Jesus has done for me. Now, the second reason I preach the gospel is because of what I have seen Jesus do for others. Over the years, I've seen Jesus do things for others. And, you know, I can tell you many, 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 many stories. But let me just share one story with you. Some years ago, I was in a place called, um, uh, I was in a place called, it's in Zambia. Um, I forget the name of the town. But it's one of the towns around the capital city of Lusaka, Zambia, one of the townships. So I was doing a crusade there, and we had like, I don't know, I mean, it was a massive crowd, 70, 80, 90,000, something like that, you know, tons of people. And what happened is that uh, about a mile away from the field where I was preaching, there was a family in the township, you know, thousands of people, tens of thousands, but there was a family there that had two children. There was a little girl who was 11, and her brother, he was nine years old. Now, the 11-year-old daughter was perfectly normal, but the boy was, uh, he had contracted spinal meningitis that had left him totally, you know, paralyzed from his chest down. So he, you know, he was he was in bed all day, all night, and, and couldn't walk, couldn't move, and the parents were, very angry at god they were bitter at god they would get angry when they would hear about church or pastors i mean they were not interested at all and so every almost every night they used to leave the kids and they used to say to the girl look after your baby brother mom and i are going out and they would go to a local bar and drink beer with their friends that's what they would do almost every evening now i i have a big p system so that when i'm preaching in africa you can hear me several miles away. I mean, uh, it's, it's a big system. And the reason I have that strong PA system is that I want everybody in town to hear the gospel, whether they like it or not. <laughs> I have a permit from the police, and I said, okay, fine. You don't want to come to my crusade? I'll come to your house. <laughs> Stay there, and I'll so Because you can, uh, in fact, uh, just before COVID, I was preaching in one town in Zambia, And the next town, which was about five six miles away, they could hear me preach. So it's it's a big system. So anyway, so so I'm preaching, and this uh, 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 so what happened? I start on Tuesday, uh, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, after the parents have left for the bar. uh, This little boy says to his sister. He said, could you please carry me on your back? Because the African women carry, carry their children piggyback, you know, on their back. Said, could you please carry me on your back to where this man is? I believe his Jesus is going to heal me. And uh, the sister said, you know, it's quite far. It's where my school is. It's quite far away. And uh, plus you're heavy. And uh, I couldn't, there's no ways I could carry you there. You're almost as big as me. And mom and dad will be very angry. And he says, I know I asked mom and dad, and they did get angry, but I wanted them to take me there. But this is my only chance. I believe his Jesus is going to heal me because he was hearing everything. He was listening to the messages, to the preaching, to the testimonies. He could hear everything. He says, I know his Jesus will heal me. And then she says, no, I can't carry you. And then he begins to cry. And when she sees her brother crying, she begins to cry, and, and he he." He begs and pleads, and finally he says, listen, you just have to carry me one way because I'm going to walk back, I promise you. And so, well, finally, you know, she sees her brother cry, and, you know, and just, he was heartbroken. So she said, okay, okay, I'll take you. I'll do my best, and, but it's very far, and I'll try. So she picks her brother up, and sh- they step outdoors. Now, in Africa, in those poor townships, you don't have streetlights, lights. And the roads are not paved, there's big potholes, there's sh- uh, sharp stones everywhere. It's, especially at night, it's not safe, because you can't see where you're going. And she took a few steps, and she fell, stepped into a pothole, she fell, he fell, and they were cut everywhere, and, and he, she says, I don't know if I can do this. And he says, please, you have started, please, please do your best for me, and And I, because I don't want to spend the rest of my life like this. I know his Jesus will heal me. So she, she picks up her brother again and she walks a few more steps and she fell, fell down. Now I know this before because I saw them later on in this evening and they were cut. I mean, they had cuts and wounds all over their body. There was no skin on their elbows, their knees, and they were bleeding and cut and covered with dirt. But somehow she made it to the field carrying her baby brother on her back. And that night, Jesus honored that little boy's faith. And that boy got up and began to walk. And uh, so then somebody, somebody picked up the child, put the child on the platform, and he was frightened. He was crying. And I said, who brought him? There was a little girl. Then I heard the whole story. And you know, I, I, they, they went back home walking, and when the parents came home, they, nobody had to tell them. They understood. They saw the kids playing in the kitchen, and mom and dad went on their knees, and they began to cry. And the next day, uh, the whole family plus their neighbors and people at his place of work, they extend a couple of hundred people from their circle. They all came to the meeting, and people gave their lives to Jesus. And they all gave their lives to Jesus, and they're all in church today. And you know, I, I got my team together. I said, I said, guys, you know, each time I do a crusade, cost me about $30,000. I said, we spent all this money. We came from so far. And, and, and the way we look at people, the way we are looking, you saw those photos, you saw the crowd. You, you know, you don't, the faces don't register. All you see is a mass, a, a, a mass of people. And uh, y- you see those, I said, that this is how we look at people. We stand on the platform. Crusade after crusade six, crusade, six services in every crusade. And, and we do 10 crusades a year for 35 years. This is how we are used to viewing people. We see like a faceless mass of people getting saved, people getting healed. I said, but sometimes God lifts up an individual and puts his face before us. So we can see and we can look into the eyes of the person And we understand how precious these people are. They may be poor, they may not own much, but you look into their faces and you realize how much Jesus loves them and how precious they are. So I said, if we spend all this money, and I came from America and our team came here from so far spending all this money, all this time, and I said, honestly, if we did it just for this one kid, it would be worth it all because you don't know what God is going to do this to this little boy in the days to come. So I often, you know, I think of that little boy and I think of people all through these years I have met and like the other day, a, a pastor came to me. He says, brother, I'm pastoring a church. I said, yeah, nice to meet you, pastor. He says, "He says I was one of the street urchins, right? You know, he said, right in the front of the crowd, we always have hundreds of these little kids, you know, street urchins, street kids. He says, I was one of those little kids, uh, you know, right by the rope, and and I, I used to come there every night because I had nothing else to do, and... All of us kids would gather, we would see our lights and all that, and we would come. And he says, that's when I got saved, and today I'm pastoring a church. So, you know, there is value to these people, and and I look at the value of preaching the gospel to people, and I think of all those lame, the blind, the deaf people I've seen over the years, and people whose lives have been changed. And so, that is the second reason I preach the gospel. First reason is what Jesus has done for me. Second reason is what I have seen Jesus do in the lives of other people, and it is worth it all. Hallelujah. The third reason I preach the gospel is because of a man called Jim Turner. Uh, He was an American man from Kansas. And let me tell you about Jim Turner, uh, who he was. When When I came out of prison for preaching the gospel, and I began to go to a church, and and um, always used to sit in the front because I was eager to learn. And the pastor he said to me, he said, "Brother, uh, this was Wednesday night. He says on Sunday could you please sit in the back?" I said, "Pastor, I'll sit wherever you want to, wherever you want me to. But uh, can you explain to me why?" He said, "Well, he says because it, next Sunday is Communion Sunday." And in our denomination, we don't give communion to those who are not water baptized. I said, Pastor, I've been in prison for my faith, and I want to be baptized, but I can't find anyone to baptize me. And I really want to take communion because partaking of communion is partaking of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and I, I really want to partake of this blessing. I said, can you baptize me before Sunday? He said, no, I can't baptize you. I said, do you know somebody else who would baptize me? He said, no, no, I don't think anyone, you'll find anyone to baptize you. I said, but pastor, why? Then he began to explain to me, he said, you see, Muslims view water baptism as the final break with Islam. So when someone says, I'm becoming a Christian, they will persecute him, but when he gets water baptized, in their eyes, they look at it as the final break with Islam And now he's going, he's not going, he's never going to come back again. And that is why he said in the past when we have baptized Muslim converts, he says what the fundamentalists have done, they have firstly killed the pastor who baptized him. Then they burn, I mean, they would kill him. Then uh, then they would burn Christian people's home and burn the homes and burn the church down. And uh, then there's a rioting, you know, other people getting killed and who get caught and all these things we have had. Huge troubles when we have baptized Muslim converts, so we as pastors have decided we are not going to baptize Muslim converts, so i 'm sorry okay, so i couldn 't find anyone to baptize me. Then I met Pastor Jim Turner, he was a missionary and and uh, he was just there temporarily and he I, I just met him, I think once or twice, shaken hands with him i 'd never even spoken to him, but he was watching me he says uh, He said, brother, I heard you want to be water baptized so that you can take communion. I said, yes, sir, I want. He said, I'll baptize you. I said, but pastor, it's risky for you. He said, I know, I know it's risky in these Muslim countries, but he said, but he said, I've been watching you and I know the hand of God is on your life and I don't want anything to to stop you from fully partaking of that which God has for you. So if taking communion is so important to you, I will baptize you so he took me to the Arabian Sea where in the ocean in front of many both Muslims and Christians watching he baptized me so after he baptized me then uh, some weeks later I had to escape things got very difficult for me and I went to you know Afghanistan just before the Soviet invasion I was in the Soviet Union Turkey and all that then I ended up in Bible school in Sweden and uh, One day when I was in Bible school in Sweden I got a letter from another missionary which says that Pastor Jim Turner uh, has been killed and they found his body and uh, I checked and I through my contacts and I found out that he had been killed because he had baptized me. You know, you cannot even imagine what I went through. I couldn't understand why an American missionary with a wife and three small children would give his life so that an Arab kid could take communion. And you know, I. Uh, so all these years I have lived with this burden, so every time I take communion in church I think of Jim Turner and what it cost him so that I can take the Lord's Supper. I think of him, his family and his unfinished life and uh, you know when, when you're in the ministry pastor will tell you there are times you get discouraged and you see do I really want to do ministry the way sometimes people mistreat you I don't even have the luxury of thinking that because of what it cost him and every altar call I do you saw these pictures every altar call I do and people raise up their hands and receive Jesus, it's like I'm trying to pay off a debt that I know I can never repay In full, It has cost me something to follow Jesus, something, but for him it cost everything. It cost him everything, not for that he could follow Jesus, but so that I could follow Jesus. So my third reason is to preach the Gospel is Jim Turner, and I'll never get away from him. Now, you who are sitting here, you might say, well, I can't really relate to that. But you can. I know somebody who died for you, I can tell you how they whipped him. How they whipped him, how they beat him, how they crowned him with thorns and they spat upon him, mocked him, blasphemed him and covered with, bruised and beaten, covered with his own blood and covered with the spit of sinners, he carried the cross to Calvary and he died on the cross for you. So don't you ever think nobody did that for you and he died that horrible death just for you. So the question is, how are you going to live your life from this day onward? Are you going to live your life in a manner which is a worthy or appropriate response to what that man did for you? Or will you go on and let everything be normal like it has been so far? Or are you going to step up and say, I'm going to live my life in a manner that's worthy response to the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for me. I face that all the time. How are you going to do it? I have decided how I'm going to do it. And I do it in spite of my imperfections, my fault. And I find myself uh, repenting, making things right all the time. To move one step forward to serve God. Let's bow our heads together. I want to ask you one more question, one more time. How are you going to live the rest of your life? Will you live the rest of your life in a manner that's an appropriate response to the price that Jesus Christ paid for you? So if there's anyone here, you say, Pastor Christopher, I need to make things right with God. I, I really need to recalibrate and make things right with God or have your sins forgiven or whatever it is. Can you show me a hand because more than anything else, I want to pray for you. Want to make things right with God. God bless you, sir. Anybody else, Need your sins forgiven, anything. I'm not going to make a spectacle of you, but you need to make a decision. They're going to step up. and God bless you, madam. Anybody else? Anybody else? This is your opportunity. Don't let your pride hold you back, okay? Because it doesn't matter who's watching you, who sees you, who cares. It will never cost you as much as it cost me, but it costs something. Always costs us our flesh. So those of you who put your hands up, could you please stand to your feet? Stand, stand your feet, nothing to be ashamed of, just stand your feet. Anybody else? Could, could you please come and join me here? Join me here. Mm. God bless you. Please come and stand here and face me. Pastor, would you come? Pastor Scott and some of the church people. I would like to, to come individually pray with them because... Mm, can you do that? Pastor Scott, you and... Can you call some of your church people, some of your leaders, some of your elders, to stand in front of each one individually? Because some of them are people from the church. They just want to recalibrate, make things right. And uh, Can I have a lady? Pray with this young lady, please, madam. Please pray with this young lady. Can I have a few more people just come? and put your hands on them, stand behind them and pray for them. Just come quickly, quickly, leave your seat. Leave your seat. Some some people, just stand around them, just pray for them while they're talking to them, praying with them. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you, we honor you, we glorify you. Yes, thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Father, I thank you. Father, we honor you, we glorify you, we bless your name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father we thank you. Father we honor you. Father we glorify you. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for your plans, your purposes for these precious people. Thank you for your hand upon each one of them. I ask you to touch them. Bless them, Father. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you. For, you know this lady, Pastor? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, fig- I figured it out. That's why I figured that out. Just Thank you, Father. Father, we pray for each one of these precious people. Bless them. Put your hand upon them. Thank you, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus. You came to the right place, brother. You did the right thing. You did the right thing. God bless you. God bless this lady, Father, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thankful. Pastor, will you give them something? I don't know. Okay, you got something for them? Okay, let's get. Let's all stand up together. I'm not done as yet, so stay with me, okay? I will let you go soon. So, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. How many of you need a healing in your body? Lift up your hand high. Okay, could you all come to the front? Just come to the front. Now, what I want to ask is this. If you've got deafness in one or both ears, I want you right in the center. Okay? If you've got deafness, you've got you're deaf, I want you right here in the center. Okay, so just come. and You don't have to form a line, and I'm not going to push you if you don't fall. That's not important for me. The important for, thing for me is that you receive what God has for you. Okay, uh, who has got deafness? You? Which ear? Is it closed? Is it closed? Closed. Okay. Praise God. Thank you, Father. You also, sir. Okay. Thank you, Father. Can I have some of the pastors, the leaders, stand in front, spread out, since there's so many. Just come and spread out. come in front, yeah, stand. Some of the elders, leaders, whatever, you know, I don't know what structure you have here. Just, just, just step back, don't pray for them. Just stand. I want you to come. Is there any, can I have a couple more people to help me? Yes. Pastors, or elders, or elderesses, their wives, (laughs) or deaconesses. Some churches have elders, others are deacon-possessed churches.
0: Deacon, deacon
1: to death. <laughs> I had to get that out, so. Uh, could you please spread out a little bit, spread out, sir, madam, if you could go a little bit to the left, a little bit to the left. So, could you move a little bit to the left? Yes, so we are all spread out. Thank you, Father. 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 Put your hand on the spot where your disease is, Okay. Wherever your trouble is, put your hand on the spot. Thank you, Father. And just close your eyes, get your mind on Jesus. Father, we come to your holy presence in the name of your Son, Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you that when you were whipped and bruised and beaten and crucified, you bore upon your own self all of our diseases, all of our sins, and all of our infirmities. And by your stripes, we have been healed. Lord, it is written that you uphold all things by the word of your power and the word of your power declares that we have been healed by your stripes. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you suffered for us and bore our diseases, carried our sins. I thank you, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you. And Lord Jesus, you said that whatsoever we shall ask the Father in your name, it shall be done for us. So Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus to send down the precious healing, anointing of your Holy Spirit upon each one of my brothers and sisters into their bodies. Right now, Father, from the head down to their toes, heal them from every sickness, every disease, every infirmity in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. Father, first of all, I pray for those who have uh, tumors or cysts or growths or cancers in their bodies in the mighty name of Jesus of Nazareth I curse these evil things I command them to die and dry up and wither away and disappear in the name of Jesus of Nazareth the son of God be healed in Jesus mighty name Father, I pray for those who have depleted eyesight or eye disease or blindness or cataracts. Father, I ask you, I touch those eyes with the precious blood of Jesus of Nazareth. In the name of Jesus, you blind spirits, I curse you. I curse every eye disease. I curse these cataracts and I say, be healed. Let the light of God shine into these eyes. Be healed in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for those who have diseases like diabetes, Father, and heart disease, and trouble with their kidneys, Father, or lungs or any of their internal organs, I ask you to heal them in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Father, I pray for those who have lingering after effects of COVID in their bodies. They are not back to 100% and over time they have suffered weakness in any area of their bodies. I ask you to infuse life and strength into their bodies. Heal them by your mighty power in the name Of Jesus of Nazareth. Father, I pray for those who have pains, who have arthritis, arthritis, and rheumatism in their bodies, and those who have injuries in their bodies. In the mighty name of Jesus, I curse those spirits of infirmity. Be healed in the name of Jesus, in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Heal him by your mighty power. Now, now, right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you, Lord Jesus. Move move your leg, move your leg, move your leg, move your leg. How do you feel? Good, you feel good? Not lying to me? You feel good? Okay, good. Praise God. Thank you. Uh, Brothers and sisters, could you start laying hands on these people? Just uh, don't go anywhere. Let them lay hands on you and I will also go around. Just start finding out what's wrong with them and... And uh, thank you, Father, and we will just uh, pray for you in Jesus name.
0: Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.